0: Let's turn again to Romans chapter eight. Romans chapter eight. When a child is learning to play a musical instrument, what things might make him feel like giving up? Why might a child feel like giving up learning to play? Let's say the piano. Why might he not keep going? Any thoughts? Yes? Oh, right, so the hard work and the discipline of having to practice. Yes, there's some hard work and discipline involved. Why else might you feel like giving up, not keeping going? This isn't just for children to answer, by the way. Anyone can answer. Progress can be slow, yes. And you can be aware of all the mistakes you're making and thinking, will I ever be any good? Yeah, there was someone over here. Oh, right. Yes, so again, they had a variation of not really very good at it. Yeah, are you ever going to be any good? Uh, Mike? Oh, right. So you're feeling a failure. Yes, if you just failed at part of it. I suppose a part of what Anthony said, progress can be slow, is the goal can seem really far off. It might sound wonderful to be able to play Beethoven's Fifth Symphony, but I'm just playing CDE Had a Tree Full of Apples As Can Be. And it's like the the, the goal seems so far off. So there's all sorts of other things might look more fun than Hannah said about having to practice. And at the time you're practicing, it might look like going out in the garden seems more fun. All sorts of things might make you feel like not keeping going. Now, there can be similarities in the Christian life. There can be other pleasures that might seem to entice us away. We might feel like a failure. Oh, fallen for that sin again. I'm just going to keep on like that. Is it any good? The goal might seem so far off. Jesus coming back. Well, he hasn't come for 2000 years. It just all seems so far away. And so there are, like with the child learning to play the piano, things that can make us feel like giving up, make it feel hard to keep going. And so we're in a series. Well, actually, the plan is this morning we're finishing a series on helps to keep going in the Christian life. Romans 8 was written to reassure and to encourage Christians who struggle with sin, that's the first half of the chapter, up to verse 17. And Christians who suffer, that's the second half of the chapter from verse 17 onwards. And so it's a very suitable place to finish our series. We've dotted around the Bible in this series, but Romans 8 is a good finishing point for our series helps to keep going. This morning we're going to be in the second half, although not all the second half, we're going to go verse 28 onwards. Romans 8, verse 28 onwards. This morning is all about encouragement to keep going. Not a clinging on, gritting your teeth, just about keep going. But Romans 8 gives us reason to joyfully, confidently keep going. So I'm not going to tell you to do anything. Romans 8 doesn't tell you to do anything. It's all about what you have. It's all about what God has done for you If you belong to Jesus Christ. Now that's a big if, isn't it? If you belong to Jesus Christ. So if that's not you, maybe you're new to church and hearing from the Bible this is all new to you. Maybe you're a child or a teenager brought along by your parents. Maybe you've heard many times but not yet repented. You are going to hear from the Bible the unbreakable security. The great gift that people who belong to Jesus Christ have. And you could have it too. In fact, you could have it now. Because it's offered to you as a gift you can have by turning from your way to follow the Lord Jesus. To put your trust in him. To find out more about how to, well, I'd love to tell you. So grab me afterwards. We can arrange a time to talk or get in touch with me somehow on the phone or look on the website and you could find a way to get hold of me. I'd love to tell you more about how you, too, could have this. It's really rather simple. It's by turning from your way to the Lord Jesus and trusting him. But we're going to see the unbreakable security people who belong to Jesus have. And uh, well, there's an awful lot here. It's a rich part of the Bible. We're not going to cover everything, but let's first see this. God's unbreakable plan verses 28 to 30. God's unbreakable plan. Now, do you know the Just William stories? I'm sure some people do. Just William was a naughty boy and a funny boy. There's these great stories about him. And he had an older brother called Robert, who I guess was somewhere between 18 and 20. And Robert is always falling for whoever is the latest girl his age to have moved into the village. A new young woman moves into the village and, oh, she's the one and only for him. She'll be the love of his life. And this is it forever now. And a week later, he's moved on to someone else. And she's the one love of his life. And this will be it forever now. And he's perfectly sincere. He means what he says. He's just so fickle. He's always changing. Now, the author, who's a very funny author, she's exaggerating, but she's got some truth there. We are very fickle people. We are unreliable. We are changeable. And if our salvation, our safety was down to us, was based on us, that would be very bad news. But it's not. It's not. It's based on something much better, more solid, more reliable on God himself. God himself and this God is love and above all he loves his son and he has a plan for his son and the plan is in verse 29. Verse 29 for those God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. God's plan is for his son to be head of a new humanity. A massive family of people who are made like him. His plan is for his son. He wants him to be exalted, to be head of this new humanity. This great big family of people who are all made like him. That's God's plan. But God hasn't just planned it. He's enacted it. He's put it into practice. And that is what verses 29 to 30 describe how he's done that. There are people God foreknew. See that in verse 29? It doesn't mean he knew beforehand that they would believe. No, it means he knew them. And despite knowing all about them and their sinfulness and unworthiness, he loved them and he chose to bring them into a relationship with him. And those people, verse 29 says, he predestined. That means he set their destiny. And what was their destiny? Verse 29, to be made like his son, to have the character and share the glory of Jesus himself. And those people, verse 30 says, he called. Do you know the story of Jesus standing at the grave of a friend called Lazarus and he called Lazarus come out and his call had power to make the impossible happen. To give Lazarus life and to bring him out of the grave. And so God calls these people in his plan into new life, into relationship with him. And his call has power to make it happen. But those people are sinners. They don't deserve to be in God's family. They deserve hell. But God will deal with that too. And so, verse 30, those he called, he justified God, as judge, declares them right, innocent, right according to his perfect standards. And all those very same people, he will glorify, verse 30 again. One day he'll raise them with new bodies, raise them made perfectly like Jesus. The plan will be complete. And it's so certain, it's even put here in verse 30, as he glorified As if it's already happened, because from God's standpoint, it's all settled. It's all done. Now, children, have you ever been to a harbor? Maybe on holiday, you've been at the seaside, you've been to a harbor or some docks, place where ships are loaded up and unloaded. And there on the harbor side is a massive chain used for keeping uh anchored even the biggest of cruise ships massive chain each link is too big for you to lift too big for the strongest man here to lift unbreakable chain and that's what we've just gone through in verse 29 to 30 this unbreakable chain each link is made by god notice he foreknew he predestined, he called, he justified, he glorified. And so each link is unbreakable and each link is most certainly attached to the other. It's a chain that holds together. To put it another way, we've got some new students here. Welcome to new students. And I presume you are hoping in three or four years to graduate. and We hope you do as well. Some don't, do they? I'm not trying to discourage you at the beginning. Nearly all do, but some don't. There are some people who drop out. There are some people who think this course isn't right for me. Some people, for various reasons, just don't keep going. Some people fail exams. People drop out. There's some change between years. But who is in verses 28 to 30 doesn't change? The way it's written emphasizes all that God foreknew, he predestines and all of those he calls and all of those he justifies and all of those he glorifies. There are no dropouts between the links of the chain. Because it's God's work, not ours. And that gives us, among other things, the consequence of the plan now in verse 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Uh, We've just heard the reason why we can be confident that verse 28 is true. Notice that verse 29 begins for. For, in other words, because, in other words, verses 29 to 30 are giving the reason why we can be confident that verse 28, God will work all things together for good. Because people who've been called by God, he's already decided he's going to make them like his son. He's going to give them a part in that new family. And so he'll use everything that happens to them to promote that plan. Even bad things. Notice verse 28 doesn't say all things are good. Bereavement is not good. Illness is not good. Losing your job is not good. But even those bad things, even the painful things, even us making bad decisions and getting things wrong. He'll use to progress his plan of making you more like his son. Shaping your character, strengthening your faith, refining your love, setting your sights more on Him. Now, remember, all of this is to tell you, if you're in Jesus Christ, here's what you have. Here's encouragement to keep going. Joyfully, confidently, keep going. I think that should be enough. But we get more from the next verses. The next verses tell us, why this unbreakable plan will succeed. So let's move from God's unbreakable plan to Christ's unbreakable work. Verse 31 to 34. Christ's unbreakable work. Now, I say Christ's work, but we'll find it's God's and Christ. They're working together. Verse 31 to 34, we move into the law court. So can you picture in your mind an oak paneled room and there's some really serious looking people there dressed in funny wigs and black gowns. And there are piles of papers and an official says, all rise. And everyone stands up as a very serious judge walks into the room and you are in the dock. You are the one on trial. Who fellow Christian do we have against us in that trial? Who there is standing ready as the prosecution, ready to accuse us? Oh, there's plenty. Above all, the chief prosecutor is Satan. He loves to accuse. But there are also people who've witnessed your sins. And maybe you've got people in your life who would love to trip you up and show you up. And there's even the law of God that accuses you. And from the dock, you look at them and you feel totally hopeless. I've had it. And then you look at verse 31. Verse 31. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who could be against us? Oh, yeah, they're all against us, but who are they? Because God is for me. God himself is for me. He's there not to get me, but to stand for me. Can you be sure he'll be for you? Can you be sure of it? Have you got any reason to be confident in it? Oh, yes. Verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He's given his son. How will he not now stand up for you? Imagine you've got a friend in hospital. This friend is stuck in a hospital bed for weeks. And so to... Help her while away the time and cheer her up. You buy her a Nintendo Switch. I know nothing about these things, but I just looked it up. £279 from Amazon. Buy her a Nintendo Switch. And all the games. I don't even know if you have to buy the games separately or how much. I bet they cost a fortune. But you buy it all and you take it to her in bed now. She's, she's stuck in bed. She can't get out. But now you've done something really nice for her. She's got a Nintendo Switch to play on. Ah, But it turns out there's a battery missing. Oh, you say forget that i've gone to enough trouble for you you just have to wait till you can get out of hospital and get yourself one would you how ridiculous you have come to all that expense and you're going to let it go to waste just for the sake of a battery you can just nip quickly and get yourself a battery well i was going to say cost hardly anything i'm not completely sure about that but certainly less than 279 pounds you've gone to all that expense and you let it get wasted God has gone to all the expense of giving his son. He didn't spare him, verse 32 says. He didn't spare him what? He didn't hold back any of the punishment that you deserve. He laid it all on him. Having done that, is he going to fail to finish the job? Is he going to let it go to waste? Is he going to fail to complete and to take you to be like him, like his son? Do notice the implications, will you, of verse 32. It's saying if God gave his son for you, of course, he'll complete the work. What does that mean about who God gave his son for? It means he gave his son for the people back in verse 29. He foreknew and predestined. It would completely rip apart verse 32 if God gave his son for some people. But then they've ended up in hell. He gave his son to save some people, but they ended up unsaved. He laid the punishment on his son, but then he said, but now you're going to have to take the punishment. That makes no sense. That tells you something about who God gave his son for, his chosen people. But let's get back to the law courts. Verse 33, who will bring any charge against God, those whom God has chosen or well, Satan steps forward? Yes, he'll bring a charge. He'll say, God, you know, they're guilty. This person is guilty, guilty of repeated breaking of your law. What does the judge say to that? Verse 33. It is God who justifies. The judge declares you innocent. Well, verse 34, who's going to condemn you now if the judge has declared you innocent? Well, all those accusers, they'll have a try. Satan, the people who've seen your sins, they'll have a try. They'll protest. Judge, you know that's a lie. You're abusing your power. You're not acting rightly for your position. You know they're not innocent. You know their sin. And then someone else stands up in the court. It's your barrister. It's the one who's appointed for your defense. He stands up. And if you look closely, you see something strange about him. You see some strange marks in his hands where he's been nailed to a cross because his name is Jesus. And verse 34, he's died. More than that, he's been raised to life. He's at the right hand of God and he's also interceding for us. In other words, he can speak up for you and say, I've taken the punishment in full. I've taken it. And because he is one with you, you're not just a random person to him. He's not just a detached person to you. You're one with him. He can justly and rightly stand in your place. And he has. It is finished. We've had God's unbreakable plan. We have Christ's unbreakable work. And all of that guarantees to us, thirdly, God and Christ's unbreakable love. Here's the third section, verse 35 to 39. We have God and Christ's unbreakable love. So verse 35 five, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Do notice that, the love of Christ. It wasn't God had some plan and Christ was just his tool. It wasn't Christ knew he's going to be head of a, of a great new humanity. Let's just get this out of the way. I've got to do this for myself. It's Christ did it because he loved you. It's personal. It's out of his love. And by verse 35, enough has been said to show this love is unbreakable. In fact, from verse 35 onwards, it's just assertion. There's no more reasoning, really. There's no more defending the love, because enough has been said to show this love could not be broken. And so from verse 35 onwards, it's just assertion nothing can separate you from this love. You will still face troubles... Maybe loneliness, maybe illness, maybe separation from others. Maybe people who pressurize you or who misrepresent you in your work, in your school, in your university. This is true even for our brothers and sisters around the world who are, verse 35, considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Uh, And some of them in those orange jumpsuits are lined up in Syria. As a man goes down the line and hacks off their heads. It's true even for them. In fact, in all these things, verse 37, we're more than conquerors. Because all of these things, yes, all of them, remember verse 28, will be used by God to progress his plan for your good. Good of such a high standard, it's all about making you like the Lord Jesus and taking you to be with the Lord Jesus. And you can be sure of this because, verse 37, it's all through him who loved us. It's not put in the past tense because he stopped loving you. No, he hasn't. He's put in the past tense to remind you he, he went to the cross for you, knowing you and loving you and going through that for you. So he's not going to let you go now. And so in verse 38 to 39, the Apostle Paul tells us he's convinced. Do you see it there? I'm convinced. The Apostle Paul, who was shipwrecked and was beaten and was stoned and was slandered and misrepresented by people inside the church and outside the church. He knew suffering personally. And he says he's convinced. And he wrote it down because he wanted is readers to be convinced. And God put it in his message because he wants you and me to be convinced that nothing, nothing at all, no exceptions, nothing can separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Rush through at speed, a lot of ground covered, but I hope you've seen... God's unbreakable plan. Guaranteed by Christ's unbreakable work, which all results in God and Christ's unbreakable love. Now, there is reason to be joyful, to be confident. There is the best thing to keep us going. We're going to sing about that. Well, I'm so used to saying that. You know what I mean. We're going to somehow participate in a song about that. It's about our security and about how it all depends on Jesus. Let's stand for this.
1: Before the throne God, I have a strong
0: be having the Lord's Supper together, that time when we eat and drink to remember and to proclaim the death of our Lord Jesus. Everyone's welcome to stay with us for that. Please only eat and drink with us, though, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus for your forgiveness, for your salvation, and you're turning from your sins to follow him. If that's not you, just say no thank you when the bread and the wine Come to you and uh, use this time as a time to think about the Lord Jesus. And will you put your trust in him? Those at home, we're sorry you can't be having the Lord's Supper with us. It's not something that can be done remotely or or not together as a church. uh, And that's a grievous thing to miss out on that. So uh, I'm sorry about that. Uh, But I hope this time will still be a useful time of worship and of meditation for you. Uh, To help lead us up to that time, uh, here are some verses from the Bible to focus our minds. John the Baptist said, behold, look at, fix your eyes on the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Romans 5 says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man, someone might dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But it's not just for a group of people. It's it's personal. And so Galatians 2 says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's personal. And then here's a verse, a favorite of mine, which is so relevant to communion. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship, communion with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin.